Hallelujah. Jesus! Jesus! We love you, Jesus! We honor you, Jesus! You are awesome, Lord! We bless you, Jesus! Jesus! <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Glory to God! It's so good to be with you guys. I finally made it here when there wasn't ice all over the ground. The last two times I came. <clears throat> Praise God. Uh, yes, I am a recovering lawyer. That is correct. <laughs> the reason I got into the ministry is I heard that they had started using lawyers as laboratory test animals instead of white rats. <laughs> they said the reason that they did this is that they're... Uh, are just as many lawyers as there are white rats. And uh, they said that they found when they started doing this that the people that work in the laboratories, that they don't get nearly as attached to the lawyers as they do the white rats. So morale has gone up, turnover is down. And uh, they said the other reason that the lawyers work so much better than the white rats is that you can run such a broader spectrum of experiments and tests on the lawyers. There's just so many more tests and, and things that they can uh, do with the, with the lawyers because there's just some things you cannot get a rat to do. And I, if there's any other... Any of the rest of the brethren here tonight, you know that we, the brethren, the lawyers, we have all the best lawyer jokes. <laughs> Praise God. It's great to see you guys tonight. Uh, man, I am, I am totally pumped. I am excited beyond measure at what God is doing in New England. Um, I just uh, want to share a little bit about that with you. Uh, back in 1999, I left my law practice in East Texas, moved to Mexico to Ciudad Victoria, uh, we had been touched with the fire of revival in 1997 and God hit our town with revival and after that God thrust us into the mission field in Mexico to take the fire of God, take revival across Mexico. We did that for a number of years. Then we, we, uh, we worked some in Southeast Asia. Then we moved to Colombia, same thing in Colombia. And then God sent us back to Mexico. But in, in January, and we've been in Mexico the last three years, we just have relocated to the border. We're working through a transition where we're, we're going back to Colombia. But Colombia is not all that we have in our heart. But, but what I want to share with you is this, is that in, in January of 1997, while I was in Colombia, the, the Spirit of God came on me in a very powerful way. And most of that month, I was just in the floor in travail if you know what travail is, in, in intercession with groanings and weepings like it talks about in Romans 8.26. And uh, I used to say this, that I used to say it this way, I believe that I heard God say to me, but now because of what I've been seeing this year, I know that God spoke to me. But I, God spoke to me this. He said there is another great awakening coming to the United States of America. And I began to weep and cry. And I said, oh God, will I get to be part of that? Because the first Christian book I ever read was, was the memoirs of Charles Finney about the second great awakening. I read that the second week I was born again. Somebody mailed it to me without a return address. That branded me. I've longed to see that. And the, I cried out, Lord, will I get to be part of that? And I believe I heard the Lord say, yes, you will. And so will everybody else who wants to because it's, it's going to sweep the nation. I'm going to have to use everybody that will say yes. And that means the body. It doesn't mean ministers. It's all shifted. It's all changed. It's all flowing through the body now. But, but we'll talk maybe about that. But, but here's the thing is that, that um, I, I said, oh, God, you know, will I? And he said, yes, I'll use. And I was ready to pack up and come then, but the Lord said, you're going to have to wait about three years. And this was in January of 07. He said, if you try to go to the States right now, you're just going to plow. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to beat your head against the wall. But if you'll wait, in about three years, it will begin to happen. And it will begin as a trickle. It'll start. And um, right after that, just a few months after that, you know, when God really does something, he'll start 
bringing other things in your life to confirm it, to strengthen it, to, to get it in your spirit and get it into your heart. And I heard the president of our nation at that time, President Bush, he read excerpts from the first great awakening. He read from the second great awakening. And he himself, the president of our nation, said, it seems as though our nation is on the verge of another great awakening. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, you know, I believe in prophecy, but to me that was more prophetic than any prophet that I've heard in a while because that's the arm of God. That's one arm of God. That's the leader. That's the head of a nation speaking that the nation is declaring that the nation is about to enter into another great awakening. Whether, whether you like him or not makes no difference. At that time he said that he was the head of the nation. And then about a year after that, somebody sent me an old book by a man named Frank Bartleman. Bartleman was used by God in, in the early 1900s out on the West Coast to help pray in the Azuzu Street Revival. He was living there and was a native of California before Brother Seymour got there. Then they both prayed and that great move of God came. But right in the middle of that book, this is the only thing that, that really stuck me in that book. It said that in, in 1910, when Brother Bartleman was right up here. Actually, I think he might have been in Providence, but, but he, he prophesied in 19 and 10, the Holy Spirit came upon him, and he prophesied in 100 years, another great revival will come to the United States. And the, and the same day, and if you do the time changes, the Holy Spirit came on Brother Seymour on the West Coast. They didn't have modern communication then. They didn't have emails. He prophesied the same thing that in 100 years, another great awakening would come to the United States. And uh, I was sharing this last year in Dallas, Texas at a minister's conference. Uh, and the, when I began to share about this, the, the Holy Spirit fell on the pastors and gave us a little foretaste of what, what God is beginning to do. And a pastor from Texarkana, Texas said, I want you to come to Texarkana next year. He said, because my son has been hit with the fire. God is using my son in intercession. He's travailing. But he's researched the spiritual history of Texarkana and found out that in 1909, R.A. Torrey, another great man of God, came to Texarkana. Revival broke out in Texarkana. Can you turn just a little bit of the... I'm probably feeding back through these just a little bit. But uh, he, he said that he prophesied that, and well, a great revival broke out there. They had to, Texarkana was a small town. They, they had to build a wooden auditorium in 1909 that would hold 6,000 people. Revival went on for about a year and a half. But in 1910, R.A. Torrey prophesied in Texarkana, Texas, which is right in the middle of the nation, that another great revival would come to the United States in 100 years. And, um, um, with that in my heart, I was invited to go in January of this year to Longview, Texas. A pastor said, I want you to come. I want you to start preaching on Sunday night, and I don't want you to go every night till the next Sunday night. Now, it has been years since I've seen a pastor that would want to do that. You know, now, many times, you know, church has, people have service once a week, you know. And it's, it's difficult, those kind of churches for a missionary because they have their Sunday service and they can't have very many guests come through. But, but there's hunger in our nation again and people came. Revival broke out in Longview, Texas. We ended up being in revival for a month. But the main thing we're seeing God pour out in this, in this early stages of this is the spirit of prayer, the spirit of travail, the, the fire of God, the, the intimacy, with, restoring intimacy with Jesus. People are coming back to their first love. People are coming back home to Jesus. People are, get, people are just, they're, they're just getting to that place where they're getting radical about Jesus again. They're getting to that place where they don't care about it. They don't want anything else. Just, they're, like, they're like Zacchaeus. Just let me be with Jesus. You know, just, just I want to go home with Jesus. You know, I want to be intimate with Jesus. And, and I'll tell you, the Spirit of God started touching men, men in their 40s and 50s. I ended up night after night rolling in the floor with big old bubbas from the East Texas oil field that would make four of me in their, in their coveralls coming right out of the oil field, rolling in the floor weeping and wailing and travailing for souls. God began to move. People began to show up at church without being invited, not knowing how they got in the building. Something sucked them into the building. Something got their car to that area and, and getting saved, getting delivered, uh, healings, miracles. So there's many, many streams that are flowing in this revival that's beginning. But right now, the main thing that God is doing is he's pouring out that 
that spirit of travail if you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, it comes through intimacy with Jesus. And, and, and that's why God is calling us back to our first love. He's calling us back to the first things, first things first again. Because if we will, if we will just come back to Jesus, he will give us that fire you know, you get hungry for Jesus, you're going to get Jesus. And if you get Jesus, you're going to get his heart. And when you get his heart, it is for the lost. It's for the broken. His heart, it cries. It says that he's still at the right hand of the Father, making intercession, crying out, weeping and wailing and groaning and travailing for people to receive what he accomplished for them on the cross. Amen? But that cry has got to transcend the heaven into the earth. You know, Charles Wesley said, it seems as though God can do nothing in the earth unless he can get man to ask him to do it. And we who know about dominion and authority know that's absolutely the case. We've got the earth lease. God's the owner. We're the tenant. And your landlord can't come into your apartment and fix your plumbing if you don't ask him to. It's illegal for him to break down a door. God cannot come into this world unless man asks him to for the time of man. Amen. And there's so many things that God wants to do. That If, if you watch the news look I do, you're overwhelmed. You don't even know how to pray but the Holy Spirit knows how to pray. He knows what to ask for and he, and he wants us to pray with the Spirit so that God can get his will into this earth and into this nation at this time. Amen? Amen. And, and that is what is beginning to happen but you know when God began to speak to me about this uh, in prayer last fall in 09 I kept hearing go east go east. So you know um, uh, like many of you um, I'm from Texas and I'm, uh, my mentality's limited like yours sometimes. So I went to Longview, East Texas. <laughs> and he said, that's not it. Go east, go east. And it stayed with me all year. I tried to do some things in Columbia, did some things in Mexico, did some things in Texas. And we saw some things, but it was just like, you're not going to see it till you go east. So I ended up here in June and I ended up in New Hampshire and I called a, a, a pastor in New Hampshire, and I told him what I had in my heart, what God spoke to me. He said, come immediately. And, um, and uh, we began there on a Saturday night. On Sunday morning, as I was preaching, the Spirit of God fell. People began to weep. People began to cry out. People began to shake. People began to tremble. People began to run to the altar. I couldn't preach. God began to shake the place, and God began to call people back to himself into this intimacy. And again, revival broke out, and we just finished in, in August, well, at the end of August into September, we finished 10 weeks of straight revival in Exeter, New Hampshire. Week after week. And, I, and again, grown men, 40s, 50s, 60s, coming 9 in the morning and just, just worshiping Jesus until they just fall into that intercession and then praying for hour upon hour, men taking off from work to come pray. That is supernatural. Men on their day off coming to pray. Why? Because when you're in that presence, when you're in that fire, you don't want to be anywhere else. There's nothing else that can compare to the fire of, of the passion of Jesus. Amen. And I'll tell you, awesome things begin to happen. And these are just first fruits. You know, like down in Victoria, Ciudad Victoria, where I was in Mexico, there's a lot of citrus, a lot of orange groves. And, the, and when the oranges, the big, big, green, the big green oranges on the trees, and the trees will be full of big green oranges, but there's always some that are already orange, that are ripe, first fruits. And we're seeing the first fruits. Let me tell you just a little bit about what we, we've been seeing. There was a man who came one night on a Thursday night. His name, was Bob, his name is Bob. Bob came and he sat down. And one of, the, one of the brothers, one of these men had been praying, just felt like he'd just supposed to go sit next to Bob. Now, see, when you, when you get into the fire of God, the fire of God gets into you. And when the fire of God gets into you, the fire of God comes out of you. And he came and sat next to Bob, and it wasn't before long that the fire of God came out of, out of this brother Vance and hit this man named Bob and, and just, just, just looked like somebody hit an ejection button and just ejected him out of his seat into the floor. The man began to weep. Then the man began to laugh. Then the man began to weep. Then the man began to laugh. This went on for hours. And finally, when he came to himself, he got up, and, and this is what Bob said. I'm just quoting Bob. He said, what the hell was that? 
Now, I'm going to tell you something. That's a good sign when people are making statements like that in the church. That tells you that somebody just walked into church that had never been to church before. We need a whole lot more stuff like that going on. Amen? And it's going to happen. And we didn't know what happened to Brother Bob, but he, he, he walked out of that place looking like a light bulb. He was glowing. And uh, he started coming every service and just sitting and soaking in the presence of God. And then one Sunday, uh, one, and the thing that happens, God started using the believers in all the gifts of the Spirit, just people getting all kinds of things, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, special faith for healing, gifts of healing. And the, God gave a, a young girl about 22 years old a word of knowledge with a word of wisdom. She wrote the whole thing out on her computer during her prayer time the day before. And a woman came that was going to commit suicide and, and this girl had saved this to her Facebook or something and she could actually access it with her cell phone and she got on it and she read it and when she did, it was this lady's life story. Then it was a message of hope to this lady and, and, and then it was what, what she needed to do to receive that. And the woman just began to break and weep and she began to, she just stood up and interrupted the service. She said, uh, I need help. I, I, I'm, I've been planning to take my life. I've bought all the, the pills to take and, and, I, and, I, and, and you know, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be destroyed. Pray for me. Help me. And, and Bob speaks up and he says, well, you're in the right place. He said, I wasn't ever going to say anything. But he said, I still don't know how I ended up here. He said, but I had a long, Bob's an ex-Marine. He said, I had a long-running conflict with a man. And I had already made all the plans to kill that man. I was going to do it. And I, then, I, then I could not end the inner conflict within myself. So I already had made all the plans to kill myself after I killed him. I had, of course, had made my will out. But I sent my lawyer a letter concerning some personal effects, what to do. It's already been, it had already been mailed out when I showed up here. And I still do not know how I got here. But he said, all I can tell you, ma'am, is that God is in this place and God has set me free. After I got off the floor that night and walked out of here, I couldn't even remember why I was angry at the man. All of that was just taken out of me. The desire to kill myself was taken out of me. He saved, delivered, filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. In a place where people have fallen in love with Jesus again, in a place where people are letting Jesus consume them again, things like that happen. And uh, we saw different things. We saw marriages restored, father-son relationships restored. People saved. One, time, one Sunday we had a healing service. A miracle started happening. A, crip, a crippled lady got healed. A deaf lady got healed. And, and people were out on the parking lot in Exeter, New Hampshire, on their knees after the service, worshiping Jesus for their miracle. Now, the word, I'm not, I know we're in New England. You know, one night the joy of God, there was a river of joy and, and it hit people so hard there they wasn't enough room for them to run in the church. They started running out the exits around the church. Ah! In Exeter, New Hampshire. In, in Exeter, Exeter, New Hampshire. <laughs> Revival has begun. We're seeing the first fruits of it. Amen. It's going to increase. It's going to continue. God is setting up shop wherever anyone will let him. He's looking for a people. He's looking for a body that will allow him to come and inhabit that place and consume them, that they will throw the plans of man to, to the side and that they will throw caution to the wind and they'll say, come on, Jesus, whatever you want to do. We don't care what it looks like. We don't care what it sounds like. We don't care what happens. We want you to move, God. We don't care what the move is. Just move, Lord. We need the move of God. We need the revival, God. And I tell you, God's opening up fountains of revival. He's opening up wells of revival strategically where he can find a people like that. And people are coming from all around to drink. We had pastors come from Pennsylvania, from northern Maine, uh, from other parts of New Hampshire, and from Massachusetts because they're thirsty for a move of God. We had people come from all around the area just because they heard, here's a place where God's pouring out his spirit. Amen. And God has got to have those places. And, and I believe there's no better place than a place that has a fantastic foundation of the Word of God because the Word of God gives you like banks for the river of God to flow in. It doesn't get goofy. It doesn't get flaky. 
God didn't just give us all these years of great teaching and revelation so that we can just dry up and get stagnant. God has given us a foundation so that he can have a place to move and it will not be flaky and weird and it can be sustained and it can touch hearts and lives and it can bring the impact that he desires for it to bring. Amen? But I will tell you this, if, if the word of faith crowd doesn't rise up and step up to the plate, he will find somebody else because he's going to move. So it's our decision whether we're going to step up and say, okay, God, we're ready. Amen? Um, I'm, you know, I'm a graduate of Ramah. I'm just as word of faith as anybody else. But let me tell you something. When I got saved, I lived in a town of 3,000 people. I was practicing law there. I was 28 years old. And, uh, you know, I had lived there all my life. And when I got saved, what I had to do to, to walk with Jesus is I had to get up every day and, and be with Jesus for a couple of hours, then go to my law office. But when I went to Ramah, you know, I just started hearing the word and getting good teaching and getting knowledge. And I quit spending time with Jesus. I let that intimacy go. And you know what? Sin crept back into my life. Compromise crept back into my life. Deadness, coldness. And I'm not, a, I'm not a proud to admit it, but I'll tell you that I walked across the platform there at Raymond and took my diploma out of Brother Hagin's hand, cold, backslidden, more cold than when I went there. And, uh, but God loves us and God helps us. And uh, I had started in the ministry. I was anointed. Things were happening. You know, and for you guys that are in the ministry... Let me tell you something. Just because you get in the pulpit and you're anointed doesn't mean everything's okay. If you've got sin in your life, you're not going to get in the presence of Jesus and have intimacy. That anointing's not for you. It's for the people. And the giftings and the callings of God are without repentance. And God does not take those away that you'll go to your grave with that calling, with that gift in you. And God will anoint it every time you get in the pulpit. But let me assure you, the Word of God says that your sin will find you out. And, and then people will no longer put confidence in that gift. They'll no longer draw on that gift and your ministry will be ruined. But, but you will go with that calling and that gifting all your life. And just because you can get in the pulpit or get in your place of ministry, whatever it is, children's ministry or whatever ministry you're in, and, and do it under the anointing and under the grace, doesn't mean that oh, things are okay in your personal life. And I thank God that I learned that the first year of ministry. And I was preaching at Brother Hagin's nephew's church in Dallas, Texas. We were having a move of joy. Things were happening. We raised a lot of money for the building program, but I was backslidden. And I was puffed up, got a bunch of knowledge, just got out of Bible school, puffed up with a lot of pride. But Jerry, Brother Hagin's nephew, he went down to the revival in Pensacola, Florida, and after he got back from there, he started calling me from Dallas down to my office in Canton. And every time that man had talked to me, it's like somebody's hitting me in the gut. The fire of God was hitting me, and I knew I needed to go down there. And I kept putting it off. I finally got down there, and uh, this was my attitude. Well, that's an Assembly of God church. They don't even teach the word of faith there. We've been in a move of God with Brother Hagin, you know. And we're, you know, that's old-time Pentecost. What are they going to teach me? Well, I got down there, and I got to the hotel. They said, if you want to get a seat, you better, you better get in line at 7 in the morning if you want to get a seat in the church at 7 at night. Well, I thought, oh, come on. So I got up there at 9 o'clock. The parking lot was packed with people. You know, man standing there on the parking lot, heroin addict for 20 years. Now he's free and clean, been free and clean for a year and didn't go to methadone clinic, didn't go to NA, didn't go to, didn't go to uh, rehab. And I'm not against any of that. That's all great. But, but the thing is, is he went to a place that was having revival and he got delivered like Bob did. And then he's got his buddy who smoked his last rock of crack cocaine about four that morning. And he's in line at seven in the morning to stand in line 12 hours to get to a place to get delivered by, by Jesus. Come on. We didn't see that at Raymond. We haven't seen that. And that got my attention. But I got in that place and there was some of the most God-awful weeping and wailing and shaking and groaning and, and, and just things I never saw in my life. We didn't see them at Raymond. And I first was critical and... Then I thought, man, this might be demonic. But I'll tell you what God spoke to me. He said, Charlie, you know what your problem is? He said, you've exalted the doctrine of the word of faith above the lordship of my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I sent you to Ramah to, to learn faith so that when you do step into the ministry, you'll basically be able to believe me for what you need and you'll be able to, yes, help some people and know how to teach healing, preach healing. He said, but what's happening here is intercession. And he said, 
I called you to do the work of an evangelist and you've got to have this. You've got to know about it. And he said, you've, it's got to operate in your life and you've got to know it and have, have it when it comes and people develop people in it. But he said, let me tell you this. He said, don't exalt this either above the lordship of my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, don't you ever again in your life exalt a doctrine, a manifestation of my spirit, a move of God, a denomination, a teaching, nothing. Do not exalt anything above the lordship of my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I ran to the altar. I, got this, I, I repented. I got prayer. I got prayer about five times that night. And I'll tell you what, uh, I got hands laid on me five, six times every night until I left there. And the fire of God hit me. And when I got back to my hometown, that hit me. And um, for about six weeks... I wasn't trying to fast. I just lost my appetite. I got so caught up. I fell so in love with Jesus. I just got so caught away, so conscious, so full that I just didn't want food. I'd go home after practicing law all day and go into my bedroom. As soon as I did, my bedroom fill up with the presence of God. And I'd lay in the floor all night in a fetal position and weep and groan and travail for souls and cry out the first and the last names of men sometimes. And those men, some of them started showing up in my law office. And when they would show up in my law office, they would begin to shake and tremble under the presence of God just like those people down in Florida were doing. And I could say the simplest word, the simplest thing, and it'd go right in that man's heart and break him wide open, pierce his heart, and, and he'd get down on his knees and weep and get saved. Uh, we saw miracle, we, I saw a lady named Miss Blackwell come in for Social Security Disability Crippling Rheumatoid Arthritis. Her daughter brought her in, pushed her in a wheelchair. God healed that lady. Those big knots disappeared. The lady walked out of my law office. Saw the high school football coach get, get healed. God touched my son, Seth. He was about four or five years old. Touched him with his fire. Touched my daughter. Touched my son, who was a junior in high school. He brought the president of the high school, who was a senior over to our house, who was a Methodist boy. said, Mr. Elliott, what's this thing about the Holy Spirit Charlie's always talking about? He said, I'd like to know about the Holy Spirit. I talked to him taught him a little wide tongues outline for a little while. And, and he said, okay, that's what I want. I said, okay, come over here in the living room. And I'm going to put on some music. I'm going to lay hands on you, and, and you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. I went and put the music on, and when I turned around, that boy was laying in the floor in travail. That's how he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Nobody ever put a hand on him. He didn't start speaking in tongues. He's travailing for souls, groaning for souls. If you know what I'm talking about, Romans 8, 26, Isaiah 66, Galatians 4, 5, 19. Talks about it. Brother Hagen talks a lot about it in the art of prayer. And uh, my, my son and this Methodist boy went to high school that year and started, uh, started praying for the high school and for the town. The principal of the high school gave them the living room of the home economics building for a prayer room. And before long, they had about 30 kids in there praying. But the Holy Spirit got to moving and they got into tongues, got into travail, and so it went down to about 10. But they stayed with it until March. And in March, God visited, God visited our town with revival, and we had revival 90 days, seven days a week downtown. We had Church of Christ, Baptist, Pentecostal, Catholic, Word of Faith, Charismatic, all these young people. We saw kids saved every single night for 90 days. We had a track meet in our town and a track team that won the meet from Van, Texas. The whole track team came to the revival and got born again, every single one of them. There was a man coming down Highway, man coming down highway 64 and, and he got in front of this coffee house where these kids were, were worshiping God and, and travailing for souls and he, and he stopped his truck opened the door, left the truck running, ran into the building. When he got through the back door, the power of God hit him, knocked him down in the back of the building. The man got saved. He got delivered from heroin. He got saved. He went home. His whole family got saved. The kids went out and, 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 and ministered to him at his house. And we saw that. And every day for 90 days, my secretaries would walk out of my law office and 10, 12 teenagers walk in with a, uh, with a CD player and start worshiping God and then fall into intercession and they'd be all in the conference rooms, in the secretary's office, in the hall, travailing for souls for hours. And long as that was happening, we saw people saved every night. And um, we, we've seen this happen over and over again. We've seen it happen in Mexico. But the thing is, is, is that we didn't know what we were doing. We lost those revivals. We had a revival that break out, broke out in Tahlequah, Oklahoma for five weeks. We didn't know what we were doing. But now God's brought things full circle. That's moving again, but so are the other streams, miracles, healings, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, joy. All of the streams are moving in this revival. God's pouring it all out, and it's different. I'll tell you, every night of revival is different. But um, 
Thank you, Father. Oh, yes. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Yes. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Turn with me in your Bibles to John. Oh, let me just go ahead and get to the cut to the chase. Thank you, Lord. Uh, let's go to John chapter 15 for a moment. Thank you, Father. John 15, verse 7. I bet, I bet y'all have heard that around here before. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Then let's skip on down. He said, uh, he says, Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, and all things that I heard my father from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go forth and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants. He said, you are my friends. Now see, here is this is the key is that we must allow God, we must allow Jesus to come to us and bring his grace and his anointing of his presence and convert us into friends because too many of us have been converted into servants. And, and, and God, that was okay in the Old Testament, but God does not intend for us to be his servants. He said, I no longer call you my servants, I call you my friends. Amen? And, uh, and I want to go on and just tell you why, why that we must become the friends of God. When we think about the friends of God, who do we think about? We think about Abraham. We think about Moses. We think about David. We think about the mighty, mighty men of God. They were the friends of God. Amen? It says in, in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, if you want to go over there with me just for a minute, it, it says this about Moses. It says that, um, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. It said God spoke to Moses as a man, face to face as a man speaks to his friend. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7, it says this about Abraham. It says, Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? Abraham, your friend forever. I tell you what, how would you like to go down in the annals of history as God's friend forever? Could there be any greater honor? Could there be any greater title than you are God's friend forever? Jesus said, I don't call you my servant. I have called you my friends. Now, there's something very, very critical about this that we have not stepped into. A few men and women have stepped into it, a Catherine Kuhlman or a John G. Lake or a Dowie. A few people that we, that we highly esteem stepped into this friendship, but now the body, is every believer is stepping into this. This is where it's at right now. It's about intimacy with Jesus. It's about being totally in love with Jesus, totally infatuated with Jesus, totally just consumed with Jesus, where he is your very, very best friend. He's your closest friend. This is happening to me. My, I am in total revival. My son Seth is in revival. My wife is in revival. My daughter's in revival. My, my second son is in revival. And this is what God is calling the body to. We've always been called to this, but this is where it's at right now. This is what he's trying to get over to us. And um, you could go with me just for a moment to Joshua chapter 10, verse 12, because the Bible says that Joshua was a friend of God. It actually says in Joshua chapter 3, verse 7, that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Amen? And how was he with Moses? He was his friend. It actually said there in, 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 uh, you, in, in where we were in Exodus, it said that when Moses had to leave the tabernacle, 
that Joshua stayed in the tent of meeting. He stayed in the tabernacle. Moses had to go out and preach to the people. But see, Joshua was a friend with God. In other words, here's the young man of God and here's Moses going to leave the presence of God, leave the place of communion, leave the place of intimacy, leave the place of visitation and go out and speak to the people. But Joshua does not follow him as most of us would do. You know, I'm going to follow the man of God and I'm going to learn from the man of God and I'm going to be exalted by association and I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can to work my ministry and I'm going to do everything I'm sorry I'm going to do everything I can to, to promote myself and, 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 but you know, you know what he did he didn't follow the man of God to preach to the people he stayed in the presence of God he stayed he, see he knew the secret he stayed back and he let he, he became a friend of God until the time came when it was turned. And there are my Joshua's, there are my David, there are those that are after my heart, that run hard after me, that thirst for me, and they have been in the shadows, and they have been in the background, but they have not been in the background with me. They have been in the brightness and the glory of my presence, and those are the ones that I'm calling forth in this hour, the lover of me, the lover of me, those that have exalted self and have exalted the arm of the flesh and have done their own thing and gone their own way are being removed. It is I who lift a man up and I take a man down I lift a nation up and I take a nation down and I am calling those forth that are my Joshua's those that have loved me when no one else was looking those that have sought me instead of progress and instead of promotion they've sought me and I will promote them and I have many here in this place says the Lord and they will be called to the forefront in this move of God that is breaking upon this nation for they have been set apart for a time such as this and they have been preserved by my spirit and they are the salt of the earth and they are the light of God and they will shine forth and the light that comes out of them will touch many and it will burn as a laser beam into the heart of many and many shall see the light and many shall come to the light and many shall be swept in deeply into the move of God and swept in deeply into my heart and they will know me that I will be seen and I will be known by many I will be felt by many I will make myself known known through these people, through these sons, through these daughters, says the Lord. So he held back and stayed in the presence of God. He went after the, he ran after the presence of God. Can you hear what the Spirit of God is saying? He's not looking for servants. He's looking for friends. He said, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. You know, if you're a servant, you may catch a one or two. But if you're a friend, you'll catch a net full. Those men that got that paralyzed men through the roof. That's what friends can do. That's what friends can do for people. They can break off the roof. They can tear the tiles off the roof and they can get a crippled man who can't get in any other way right into the presence of Jesus because they're his friends. They have access 24-7. He said a servant doesn't know what his master's doing, but his friends do. There's people that are on the inside track that are just back praying quietly. 
They know what's fixing to happen. Because they're in the secret place and Jesus is talking to them about it all the time. Where were we? Joshua chapter 10. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the, verse 12, then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amalekites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, sun stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ahilon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. That's what a friend of God can do. See, can we all agree that we need a divine intervention in this nation? Yes. Do we need someone that is a friend of God that, that can contend with God? You know, he, he, he said he spoke to God, see, and it says if you study in, in, that he was a friend of God. He's a man that loved God's presence. Put that above everything else. Put it above his ministry. And it says that he first spoke to God, and then he, then after he spoke to God, after he talked to God, prayed, you know, he just said, God, you know what? We need some help here. We're winning the battle, but, Lord, we're tired of fighting. We don't want to just win another battle. We want to win the war. We want to totally obliterate the enemy. We don't want just some relief. We want a knockout punch. We don't want a TKO. We want a knockout. And so we just need some more time, God, because we're winning. So what we need is could you just... Stop, can, can we stop the sun and, and have 24 hours of daylight here so that we can end this thing forever? And evidently, it was just fine with God because then he turned and he spoke to the sun. See, there's a lot of people that are speaking to a lot of things, but they're not talking to God first. It's not rhema to them. It's not, they didn't... If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Uh, uh, we got the cart before the horse. If you abide in me first, then, you know, the order is very important. God doesn't, God, in the word of God, the order, he puts it in, priority is important. Huh? He said, Paul said, what is it then? I pray in the spirit and I pray in the understanding. I sing in the spirit. And I sing and understand. You know, if you just get that order down, you'd see tremendous breakthrough all over this place. But what do we do? We pray in our understanding for 15 minutes, 10 minutes, and then we put a little shandai on the end of it. If we would, if we'd pray in the spirit for maybe, you know, till we pray in the, pray in tongues till we get in the spirit, or, or get in the spirit, get in the conscience of God, then pray in the spirit and pray it out in the spirit. And whatever we pray in the spirit, then start praying it out in our understanding. We would see tremendous, tremendous breakthrough. Amen? Amen. But see, <clears throat> we, we just want to do our own thing and we want, to, we, we want to just go along like we've always gone along. Hey, if getting it done like we've always done it was going to get it done, it ought to be done. Somebody said the definition of insanity is continuing to do things the same way but expecting different results. We have got to hook up with the Spirit of God. God is trying to initiate things. God is trying to get us to respond. We are in a bilateral relationship with God. Just like I am with my wife, Julie. You know, she can initiate things and I can initiate things. If she starts talking to me, I better put the newspaper down. I better put the remote down. I better respond when she wants to initiate. Amen? Amen. But we want to initiate everything. But I found out a long time ago that whatever God initiates is much better than I could ever come up with. And God's initiating a move of God. God is initiating an awakening is already hitting the nation. The church isn't ready for it. The, actually, the, the people out in the nation, out in the world, the lost people are more spiritually awake than the church. And the church is not even responding to their hunger. People are looking for experience. You, you, study, the, you study USA Today, the papers. People that have discretionary income right now are spending it on, on experience. They're looking for experiences. 
Materialism has left everybody bankrupt. It's over. It didn't, it didn't fill anybody. It didn't heal anybody. It didn't, it didn't meet the need. And, and, and people are wiped out by the information age. People don't want more information. We have made Christianity into another set of information. It is a life. It is an experience. It is a love. It is a glory. It is heaven on earth. It is Jesus. Jesus in the morning. Jesus in the noontime. Jesus in the nighttime. It is Jesus in your car. Jesus in your office. Jesus in your bathroom. Jesus in your bedroom. Jesus. It's Jesus. It's being with Jesus. It's walking with Jesus. It's talking with Jesus. It's loving Jesus. It's letting Jesus consume you. See, I'm telling you, there's some people that that they're going to go ahead and answer the call to friendship. And even tonight, I'm telling you, the fire of God, the burning presence. The un- there's many anointings, but there's an anointing of his presence. And that anointing of his presence is going to touch people tonight. And it's not going to come through the laying on hands. It's going to come for people that say, God, I'm desperate for it. I've had all the church I can stand. I've had all the religion I can stand. I don't want any more tapes. I don't want any more CDs. I don't want any more seminars. I don't want any more conferences. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I'm desperate for you. And I'm pressing into you, Jesus. I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what you do to me. I don't care what it sounds like. I want you, Jesus. That's the hungry heart. That's the desperate man. That's the one that gets the blessing. Jesus said in Luke 16, 16, he said the, the king, the, the, the law and the prophets was the, until the time of John. But after that, since John, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. It talks about when they pressed upon Jesus, the miracles happened. When the woman with the issue of blood came through the press to touch Jesus, the miracle happened. When they, they pressed upon Jesus to hear the word of God, that it's, that's when he got on Peter's boat and he pushed off from the shore so everybody could hear the word of God. You see, Jesus can't take it. There's one thing about Jesus, and it is when somebody wants him, when somebody desires him, when somebody wants him with all their heart, when you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. When you you want me more than anything else, when you want me more than the respect of man, when you want me more than what this world can exalt and give you, when you want me more than anything, when I'm your desire. And, and, and see, when people press into Jesus, it touches his heart. And then when those people pressed upon Jesus to hear the word, it says that Jesus got on Peter's boat and pushed out a little bit, used that water for an amplification system, and everybody got to hear the word of God. See, it's not just about you and me. If we press on Jesus, if we hunger for Jesus, if we press for Jesus, he will come. He will visit. The move of God will break out, and it'll, it'll touch Providence, East Providence. It'll touch Warwick. It'll touch New England. It'll touch, it'll touch Seekonk. It'll touch the whole area. If just somebody will press into Jesus, if somebody will go after him, And it's not coming through the laying on of hands. It's coming through people that say yes, and then whatever God tells them to do, do it. That's what he said. Go back to John chapter 15. Oh! Whoa! I'm sorry about that. Oh, no, I'm not sorry about that. <laughs> Come on, Jesus. Greater love, verse 13, John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. The way you enter into friendship is when the Holy Spirit, when you hear the command of faith, when you say, God, I want you. And God says, you really want me? You really want my presence? See, there's a man named Brian Marshall. He's an electrical engineer up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Second day, there was a girl just filled with the glory of God. She was just talking about all that Jesus was doing. She's just, just glowing. And he's, he's over praying, God, that's what I want. God, I've been a Christian 30 years. I've been praying in tongues for 28 years. I, I've been in every word of faith church up in this area. I've, God, I'm, 
there's got to be more. God, there's got to be more than this. And I want what she's got. And all the Lord said, you get out on your knees right now. Well, nobody's on their knees, Lord. And his prayer was, God, I want to get delivered of what people think about me. I don't want to, I don't want to be bound by what people think about me anymore. And I want what that girl's got. I want that kind of intimacy with you. And the Lord said, get on your knees right now. Well, nobody's getting on their knees. But he got on his knees, and as soon as he did, Jesus came to him. And I'll tell you what, that man is the most turned on. Man, he, he I'm telling you, he definitely lost, lost the care of what people think about him. And he is the chief intercessor that just carried that revival, the majority of it. And he, he said, man, he said, I never knew, I never dreamed that Christianity could be like this. I never knew that I could experience the presence of God 24-7. He said, he said, man, I got to tone it down at work the moment I just list in the least way direct my heart, in the least way let my heart start going towards Jesus. He said, the presence of God floods me. It floods the office. And he said, I go to shaking. I go to trembling. I go to jerking. I go to groaning. And I go to weeping. I go to worshiping. He said, because I just can't take it, the presence of God. I mean, he said, it's in my, he said, I, he went to get his hair done and the, and the lady said, what in the world are you doing? She said, you look great. She said, you've lost a lot of weight. He said, I'm not doing anything. He said, God's just been touching me. He said, I just, he said, I, you know, I was just trying to fill myself up with food and stuff because I was so, so empty, so hungry for God, but going to everything else to, to feed that hunger. He said, I, I just don't eat as much anymore. I'm not trying to diet. You know, <clears throat> that's another sermon, hunger for God. He said, you are my friends if you do whatever if I command you. Not, this is not talking about the general commands of the Word of God. This is personal, personal command to you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Jesus said in John 6, 63, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. The words that I speak to you, they, they are spirit and they are life. If you want to enter into the spirit and into the life, you've got to hear the word he speaks to you and obey the word he speaks to you. To you. And he's speaking to people. Uh, I tell you, it's the friends of God that are going to turn this nation through their, through their intercession, through their travail. It's already happening. It's already happening. And I'll tell you what, if uh, there was a man named Bob started coming to this revival. Bob has been on the streets of Boston since 1979 every day handing out tracts. He said, God told me when he called me to do this, he said, I'm sending you to people that are not even going to listen to you. He said, people have been spitting in my face and cursing me since 1979. He said, but tell you what, things are starting to change, Charlie. He said, last two years has changed. He said, in all these neighborhoods, he lives in Chelsea, he said, but in all these neighborhoods, now there's all of these Latino churches and all these African churches and all these Caribbean churches. He said, they're praying churches. They're little churches, but they're praying. And he told me, you know, it's 4th of July weekend this weekend. He said, there's a church from Brazil. They're fasting and praying the whole, for, they're in the church 24 hours a day fasting and praying for our nation, you know, Brazilian people that have come here. Praying for revival, praying for Boston. He said, on the subways, there's, there's a group, there's a team that the churches in Korea sent to Boston about a hundred and something young Korean kids that are on the on the train on the the metro whatever you call it passing out tracks can't even speak English. I mean, there's millions and millions of Chinese that are on fire. You know, God, God, He's going to do what it takes. But I'm not going to let somebody take my place. If God has to, He'll let, He'll use the little children. The children. Are, we had a revival breakout in Bogota. And Jesus walked into the room, 